The Muskie rule says that crying on the campaign trail is political suicide. But in recent years, there have been some pretty big boys who have cried. Barack Obama cried about gun violence. Every time I think about those kids, it gets me mad. Mitt Romney teared up about the Mormon church ending its ban on African-American priests. And I pulled over and literally wept. Even to this day, it's emotional. Joe Biden about his son. If you have a child you're not sure is gonna, is gonna make it. Mitch McConnell about a colleague who is retiring. That when Judd walks out of this chamber, <clears throat> when he walks out of this chamber for the last time. George H.W. Bush about his son. <laughs> John Boehner about children. You have a shot at the American dream. My God. And Newt Gingrich, who tears up. Every time we sing Christmas carols. Um, yeah, I'm sorry to do uh, uh, Excuse me. It makes you wonder, is the musky rule that there's no crying in politics finally dead? In today's show, we're going to find out how much things have actually changed. If Muskie got into a time machine and traveled to present day, what would happen? You're listening to Manish. This is Jesse Rhodes. Muskie today. To find out how Muskie would fare in today's world, I turned to someone who not only has studied the Muskie moment, but who has closely monitored the tears of contemporary politicians. Uh, my name is Ryan Neville Shepard. Uh, I am an assistant professor of communication studies at the University of Arkansas. I specialize in uh, political rhetoric. Ryan graduated from Bates College, whose most famous graduate is Ed Muskie. So in the four years of being there as a politics fan, you know, you always wonder what could have been. Fast forward to 2008, and Ryan is in grad school. The 2008 primaries are in full swing, and he's noticing something. There are all these incidents of crying. Uh, Mitt Romney cried twice during the 2008 campaign. Uh, Barack Obama cried a, day be- a couple days before the election when his grandmother had died. Two involving Hillary Clinton. Uh, Joe Biden. Five incidents in the 2008 campaign where Biden cries. And what Ryan notices is this. Out of all the campaign tears falling people are only really talking about one. And so there are these uh, nine other incidents, right? Or eight other incidents involving guys, and and, uh, the media really only wants to talk about one that's barely a display of any kind of emotion. Um, Hillary Clinton in this New Hampshire coffee shop. Okay. I know we just came through an intense election that is still probably on a lot of our minds. And maybe the last thing you want to hear is more Trump or in this case, Clinton. But for just a moment, take yourself back to January 7th, 2008. Because this becomes a key moment in political tears. Several new polls show Barack Obama far in the lead. And on the Republican side, John McCain. First, though, a rare show of emotion on the campaign trail from Senator Hillary Clinton. It happened earlier today. The Democrat became a little bit choked up during a roundtable discussion that she held with undecided voters. What ends up happening a couple of days before the New Hampshire primary is there's a debate at St. Anselm College in Manchester. And she's asked how she responds to voters who might like her politics but find her so incredibly unlikable. 
And so she sort of jokes and says, I don't think I'm that bad. And Barack Obama interrupts her briefly and he goes, you're likable no, enough. Thank Hillary, you so no much. Uh, and then there's this tag teaming that takes place at the debate where John Edwards goes up against her as well. I want her to know, I think you look terrific tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and so things are not going her way. And so uh, I think it's right after that that she's at a coffee shop. Um, and she's in a woman's group. There is a camera there. And somebody just asks a really innocent question. They say, the campaign is rough, um, but you're always up there. And you always seem so composed. And you always seem so cheerful. How do you do it? And uh, she brings it down a notch. She says, I got to admit, it's not really easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. Um, and, and I couldn't do it if I just didn't, you know, passionately believe it was the right thing to do. Uh, and she pauses for a moment. A tear sort of forms in the corner of her eye, although it's sort of hard to tell when you watch the media clip. But she clearly chokes up for a second. And she just says, And some people think elections are a game. They think it's like who's up or who's down. It's about our country. It's about our kids' futures. And it's really about all of us together. You know, some of us put ourselves out there and do this against some pretty difficult odds. And we do it, each one of us, because we care about our country. The narrative takes off, right? The narrative takes off as this is being a sort of Hillary's crying moment, her musky moment. The most famous example of somebody crying on the campaign trail Muskie. was Muskie. And Patrick and everybody felt that after Muskie cried that he was not fit to be president. And I believe that there could well come a time when there is such a serious threat to the United States that she uh. breaks down. Similarly, John Edwards said, presidential campaigns are tough, but being president of the United States is also very tough business. So the criticism was mounting. Was Hillary Clinton not tough enough to be president? So you have a lot of guys ganging up on her for a moment of, I think a lot of people indicated as honesty, emotional honesty, um, but it definitely got crafted as a moment of weakness. Of course, this is nothing if not sexist. The handful of male candidates who cried get a sprinkling of bad press. Hillary Clinton cries, and the scrutiny is palpable. But then something happens that catches Ryan's attention. Clinton wins the New Hampshire primary. And Ryan starts to wonder, what's going on? How did Muskie's tears hurt and Clinton's tears help? What I tried to do was uh, analyze a lot of the literature that we have in psychology and sociology and political science, anywhere where people are talking about crying to understand how perceptions of crying get formed. Ryan comes across all these factors that affect our perceptions of crying. Whether or not you normally cry or you show your emotional side, sexuality, one's outsider status, race, whether or not they display a type of authenticity, class, frequency, age, gender, but it's especially bad for women, the degree of... All of which in the political world can lead to bad press. But of course, Muskie and Clinton both received bad press after their incidents. So, Ryan thought, there must be something else. And in looking back at the footage of Hillary Clinton, Ryan discovered what that something was. And so on January 6th, after her crying incident, uh, she visited CNN's John Roberts and basically said, you know, I have emotions, I'm a human being. Uh, people doubt that, but it's true, I'm human. 
she uh, went on Access Hollywood and she started working uh, pretty much all the talk shows that she could. Um, and she said blatantly that there was a double standard uh, for women crying in office. She said, quote, do you get too emotional? That undercuts you. A man can cry, but a woman, it's a different dynamic. This, Ryan says, has a name and it's called reframing. Politicians are really good at repairing their images after disaster, at identifying what could be a weakness and then trying to reframe it for the media. So it's reframing, uh, and, and that's the power of, of capturing a, a new media narrative. And this is really important because emotions lend themselves to ambiguity. A lot of us leave it to other people to figure out our tears. Uh, so Aristotle called this the anthamine. When I'm getting angry, I don't say... I am getting angry because if I'm crying, I don't look at somebody and say, I am crying because. And so it's really up to the audience to determine uh, uh, what the context is, what the intentions might be. But with reframing, you don't do this. You tell them what your tears mean. I am crying because. Basically, tell a story. Not just any story but one that explains your behavior and raises doubts about your political opponents. And so I think uh, her response was trying to unite probably a lot of the people who already supported her, and sort of weaken uh, the criticism of people who, who didn't like her. And as Ryan said, Clinton did interviews explaining the incident. She alluded to the double standard and placed her tears in the context of this struggle. I mean, sometimes I'm, you know, angry, sometimes I'm outraged, sometimes I'm frustrated, sometimes I'm just even, you know, determined more to try to do what I need to do. But every time it's a rush of emotion. And yet I'm well aware of the fact that I'm held to a different standard, as most women still are. And the way Clinton responds fits Ryan's model. She raised doubts about her opponents who were applying a double standard, and she explained her reaction as being about all women, not just her. In fact, after speaking with Ryan, I went back to the original coffee shop tape, and I noticed something. That reframing begins much sooner than follow-up interviews. It begins almost immediately after the tears. It's not easy. It's not easy. She breaks down in responding to a personal question. She tears up, and her voice shakes as she talks about how difficult it's been for her. And then, without skipping a beat, almost as an afterthought, she pivots. It's about our country, it's about our kids' futures, and it's really about all of us. But I think for Clinton, she made her, her moment of what the media was calling a personal weakness. It was a political moment. Uh, I'm upset because I'm upset for America. I'm not upset for myself. I'm not wallowing in self-pity. And so she succeeded in part because she was uh, masterful in recrafting the narrative. And anybody who saw the debate that preceded her tears could very easily identify with her. So to recap, you have two big takeaways from this incident. The triggers and the reframe. Politicians like Hillary Clinton really step into dangerous territory by shedding tears. But they pivot almost immediately and manage to use the incident to their advantage. And this brings us to the question of the day. What would happen to Ed Muskie today? If Muskie were alive today and did everything the, the same, we put him in a time machine, what would happen? Would the same factors be ticked off? Well, well I think for Muskie, he makes it personal. 
it is sort of like this masculine show of like we're parked here and I dare him to show his face. And so everything that he's indicating is that somebody can bait him uh, by being insulting and then he sort of has a breakdown. But it's not all over. Remember that breakdown can still be reframed. And the sooner he acts, the better chance he has of reframing his tears. And this is where a real difference emerges between Muskie and Clinton. Unlike Clinton, who pivots to a reframe, Muskie comes to a clumsy standstill. Again, if we go back to the tape, we hear Muskie choke up. A good woman. Silence, applause, and then mid-sentence, instead of reframing, he changes topics as if nothing ever happened. I'd like to introduce you to Art Barker, if I may. And just for a comparison, here's Clinton immediately after her tears. It's about our country. It's about our kids' futures. And it's really about all of us. The difference is striking. Clinton explains her tears. Muskie changes the subject. He doesn't really address the tears or try to redefine them in a way that he says, what I'm upset about is that this campaign's getting nasty. And we have a number of editors, uh, especially the Manchester Union leader, uh, who is, is sort of hijacking political conversation by publishing these really negative stories that have no substance to them. Um, and I think that this is worse for voters because voters get misled in this negative environment. Had he done that, I think it would have been a very different outcome. And if he came back and did it all again? Um, I think if that candidate come, can't come back from that attack, can't sort of fire back, can't justify their manly tears, um, I think that it's, it's easy to be defined the same way that Muskie was defined before. So the Muskies of today are probably destined for ridicule. Our tolerance for tears hasn't expanded so far that we'd react differently to the Manchester incident. But the good news is that the Muskie rule, that there's no crying in politics, isn't true. Probably never was. If there's a lesson to be learned from Ed Muskie, it's not what we thought. It actually is okay for men to cry. It can even be an opportunity. But tears never explain themselves. They don't tell us what your thoughts are. For that, you need words. And so in politics, as well as in life, it's not tears that are truly dangerous. It's silence. Special thanks to Ryan Neville Shepard and the Edmund S. Muskie's Archives and Special Collections Library. To find links to Ryan's study, go to Manish's website, man-ish.weebly.com, and open the page for this episode. There you can also find links to music you heard on today's show. By the way, you may have noticed that Manish got a hyphen, as in man-ish. I decided it better captures what the show is about. 
the social construction of masculinity. Let me know what you think. This was part two of Boys Don't Cry, a series Manish is doing on men and crying. In part three, we go back to a time before Muskie, when men who wept were hot shit. 18th century man of feeling, the 18th century um, kind of, you know, if you think of the sorrows of young Berther or something like that, where where Berther is just weeping on every other page and it's a sign of how um, special he is. That's next time on Manish with a hyphen. <laughs> <laughs>